What up, what up, what up, my Goaling people? I hope you've had a wonderful week and you are ready for another episode of The Goaling Show. My name is Ben. I am the founder of Goaling, a goal-setting community providing growth junkies, hopefully you, the weekly challenges to avoid complacency. These challenges are inspired by brands to bring you new ways to develop and improve yourself. You can kick back and watch me take on these exciting and uncomfortable challenges, or you can join me. I challenge every listener to complete these weekly goals. Catch the content on Instagram or Facebook at Golink Group. The Golink Show, this podcast recounts the experiences from the achievers of the world, but not just the success. We delve into the challenges and the struggle that we all face. How do we find the will to push through? What role do motivation, discipline, and even failure play in our lives? Let's talk about the process and not just the result. We discuss this and much more on the show. Thanks for tuning in. All right, this week is a very special episode. It is a special episode because my mom is on the show with me. And this is a really cool thing. I don't know if I've heard any other podcasts do an episode like this. If I did, I've missed it. I haven't heard of many. And it's special because obviously it's my mother and I love her and adore her. I mean, she gave birth to me. She gave me life, you know, so it's going to be an important episode. But my mom is an amazing woman. Um, Aside from just being a mother, she's a person of many talents and has tons of life experience. She's a business owner, a straight hustler, a creator, a writer. She's even sold over 100,000 copies of a book back in the 90s. And I'm excited for this because my family can listen to this and future generations can listen to this. Um, It'll be cool for our posterity. And here are a few things we're going to talk about in this episode. Um, There's two sections. So the first section is a business kind of conversation. And then we go into family and personal topics around the 37 minute mark. So if you want to go into the more classic personal, what we usually do, um, well, not what we usually do, but just the personal section, go around the 37 minute mark. But I encourage you to stay in the conversation the entire episode. It's really cool. It's, um, you know, mother, son, family, um, just all types of things that we talk about. Um, She has a business called Tell Me Your Story Now. And we hear about one of her clients and what happened with this client. I mean, I'll let my mom tell the full story, but she felt guilty and a lot of, she was blaming herself for something that she did to her family and how my mom's program turned her, she viewed herself in a new perspective and seeing the beauty in herself and she really healed. It's an awesome story. And we talk about the lessons she's learned in business and challenges of an entrepreneur, the importance of being yourself and being your own original self in life and business, how her relationship with her children has changed as we, as we have aged, what she dreamed of as being a kid when she was a kid, what her big dream was, and how her life drastically changed at age 16. So she was 16 years old, pregnant, finishing high school at night, and working at a police station during the day. That is my mom. Boom. Um, How deep conversations benefited her children growing up. Believe me, deep, open conversations, and we still have those. Hear my mom tell some stories about me as a kid and a critical turning point that shaped my personal mindset. And we discuss expectations of each other and parent versus child dynamics. So that was a big intro because it's a big interview. Let's get into it. All right, everyone, welcome to The Goal Link Show. Uh, we have a very special guest 
it is my wonderful mother, my mom, Michelle. Mom, thank you for being here. It is my pleasure, my honor. <laughs> I feel really honored to mm-hmm. be invited. Yeah, this is awesome. We just had a dinner. Um, we made some made some good dinner, some good conversation. And I we've had a lot of deep conversations for the people who know my mom. Um, and she even admits that she loves to talk or whatever. But it's a lot of meaningful conversation. And we don't like to just stay along the surface. We go into the depths of the human experience. Um, <laughs> it's true. I do like deep, meaningful conversation. Yes. So we've had a lot of those. And I'm really excited to actually have it recorded. I think that's fun. And there's going to be two segments to this. So one will be the business of what my mom does. And then the second will jump into the more personal side. So the first question is just tell us about your experience. You are an experienced writer and storyteller. So tell us about your experience with writing, teaching how to write, um, whether it's personal history and then even writing prompts. Okay. I have a business called Tell Me Your Story Now. TellMeYourStoryNow.com, and I have been teaching people how to write their life stories for almost 17 years, but I didn't go online until just a couple of years ago, so that's been a whole new learning curve for me. Mm -hmm. I've taught primarily in community centers, uh, libraries um, in Utah and Oregon, and I developed a workbook when I started initially. And people also hired me to write a story of their parent or grandparent. Mm -hmm. And I don't do that anymore. I've been asked to do that a lot, but I would rather have people write their own story. And the reason for that is because it's life changing. Well, yeah. And you can get to more people. Yes. So as a business part of it, that's yes, definitely. Um, But also for me, one of the most transformative things as a coach or a teacher is seeing the change that comes over someone when they see their story and their experience in a different way. And it happens only when they do this life review Mm -hmm. and they write the story in the way that I coach them to do. And if, if you've heard of the latest memoirs from Sally Field or Michelle Obama, they also talk about how Mm -hmm. writing their story changed them because you see yourself and your experience differently Mm. as you go through that process. So as a coach and teacher, uh, being able to witness that in my clients is the most amazing experience to see that personal change. Well, that my next question was, what is tell me your story now, but you just answered it. And um, like you have how many years of experience just this in the writing realm? Yeah. So I've been, t- you know, I've been teaching this mm-hmm. for almost 17 years, but um, I way before that You're I've been writing. Author, yeah. I mean, I even in junior high, I wrote a play, a Christmas mm-hmm. play, kind of a fun story. What was that about? <laughs> Um, Our English teacher said, hey, we want to do a play at the school for Mm -hmm. Christmas and go around to different elementary schools. 
and uh, produce the play. So anyone who's interested in writing a Christmas play for the school, come in after school. Yeah. And I happened to write something and my idea was chosen and we went around to all the schools in the town and produced this play. I mean, everybody in the school mm-hmm. who was interested in being in the play, um, you know, participated so I mean even in like second or third grade I remember my teacher giving me an award for the best tall tell Ooh. and Ben you probably aren't surprised to hear that I can tell a good tall tell <laughs> yeah, that's true that's funny <laughs> and so you know I've I've always loved hearing stories of my parents grandparents and strangers mm-hmm. I've had complete strangers tell me in a store in line to purchase or check out mm-hmm. of the, you know, store uh, there, the cashier start talking to me and tell mm-hmm. me something and they'll say, I've never told anyone. <laughs> so I think people know, first of all, I'm interested. I yeah. look them in the eye. I care. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've, even with my grandparents, I would sit at their feet and ask them questions. All of my grandparents died by the time I was 12. So I'm mm-hmm. so happy I did this because otherwise I wouldn't have had the chance. Um, but, my cousins used to think I was strange. They'd say, come mm-hmm. out and play. Why do you want to sit here and listen mm-hmm. to the adults? Yeah. But I loved it. So I've loved those deep, meaningful conversations my whole life. In my nine, or excuse me, in the 1990s, I self-published a household cleaning book for Melaleuca. It was all about environmentally safe cleaning and educating mm-hmm. people to use Melaleuca products. Um, now, of course, there's a lot more information about using environmentally safe products. There weren't that many to choose from Mm-mm. in the 90s. Self-published, sold over 100,000 copies. That was Boom. awesome. So I've done a lot of different things. Someone mm-hmm. paid me to uh, write a script that they um, submitted to NBC one year. Um, I mean, I've done a lot of different writing projects, but I love seeing like i said the transformation when people discover their own authentic story so yeah obviously you have tons of experience right and i didn't even know all of those things with just writing in many aspects um you're definitely an expert in that area so what inspired so with tell me your story now there's um you have self-discovery 365 which is essentially you're writing prompts every day. It's not just journaling, you're writing a story and touch more on that. Like what inspired the prompts and then what is that designed to do? Okay. I do have an ebook uh, right now that's 150 life story writing prompts and my students or clients tell me I'm like really good at coming up with very original writing prompts mm-hmm. to pull the stories out of them. So the ebook um, that's available that's got 150 prompts, those are good for life story writing. And then the self-discovery writing prompts, that mm-hmm. is a membership where yes, people get an email every day and those self-discovery prompts are built around 12 aspects of writing. Uh, I actually feel like I was inspired with these mm-hmm. 12 aspects. Uh, it's something I'd never heard of before. They came to me within a matter of seconds. All the 365 prompts are built around um, 
one or more of those aspects of writing. And they're really not so much stories like the 150 prompts mm -hmm. bring out of you. The self-discovery is more about discovering your lies, the lies you tell yourself, mm -hmm. the things that keep you stuck in the past, mm -hmm. the interpretations and translations that you have come up with because of your past stories. And once you can identify those, mm -hmm. it changes your story. Yeah. So there's been, for me, listening to podcasts or interviews, there's been quite a few people talking about the stories you tell yourself or what meaning you assign to the feeling or experience that you're having. But for people who don't know, what's an example of a story that you could be telling yourself? Okay. So for me, something mm -hmm. that, I mean, developing this program over a year and um, coaching my clients who are in the membership, one thing that I have seen is as I read their writing, mm -hmm. I see different things than they see because often we're too close to it to see it objectively to our own stories and the lies we tell ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I, I have a call on the membership once a month that's called Circle of Influence. Mm. And I share illuminating excerpts from their writing and they all learn from each other. I learn from them. It's an incredible experience. But just to share with you, as much as I've learned with my students this past year, um, I just learned something this week about a story that I was telling myself that uh, my parents were always you know, very loving and adoring of me and good parents. I, I was, I'm very grateful. I was blessed to grow up in a household like that, feeling loved. Um, but what I recognize is one of the lies I tell, have tell, you know, told myself about being loved in that way was that it was my job to make them happy. Your parents happy? My parents mm -hmm. happy. Mm-hmm. And it was such a deep belief, I think a subconscious type of thing. And, and this self-discovery really helps to, you know, bring these to the surface, peel back the layers so you can get to these illuminating pieces. And then you can choose to change your story. Mm -hmm. So for me, in seeing that, I realize even that for myself, I have repeated that cycle somewhat in my own family with my own adult children having an expectation of them to mm -hmm. make me happy mm -hmm. and I feel like that's not healthy I don't want to have my fulfillment come from my children mm. as a parent that gives everything to your children I think often we can be a little bit displaced when our children go up grow up and they don't need us in the same way and I saw my parents do this and I saw them really kind of uh, falter a little bit in their steps with how do we navigate life now that our children don't need us in the mm -hmm. same way. I swore I wouldn't do that, but I did. And I think it's because it was so in my story of what I saw, the behaviors I saw, but also how do I, you know, am I not a good mother if I'm not mm. doing it this way? And, but I don't want to want my children to make me happy that's a lot of pressure on them well and i even think that can go to relationships too yes like you're first and foremost an individual like you are ultimately in charge of your own happiness you can't rely on anyone else and when you have two people or more people coming together 
that are in charge of their own happiness, then you just add to each other's lives and relationships in that way. So for stories, usually it has a negative connotation, but for me, I feel like sometimes stories can be good. I remember as a kid, um, you, grandma, and other people were telling me that like I was special and like I believed it. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I've done things and that's built my confidence in certain things just because of that. So usually when I hear about stories, it's something that's not helping you. But I think also it can be something mm-hmm. good. Yes. For whatever reason, you know. Well, let me ask you, do you have any beliefs that you believe trip you up that are not healthy about yourself? Yeah, most likely. Um, I feel like one I most recently discovered is, as you know, I'm making a big change in my life and I'm moving states and I have always been the safe one, right? So I've always like I've saved money. I haven't been like a big spender. I've made calculated risk, haven't done anything too crazy. And so an excuse I was thinking up in my head is like, why would I do this? This isn't safe or you know I mm-hmm. could be successful right where I am mm-hmm. so once I caught that I'm like why do I think that have I just been told that so many times and so I caught that I was like I get to decide currently how I am who I am mm-hmm. right so that is a really good example of mm-hmm. maybe a belief you have that could trip you up right a yeah. subconscious belief about needing to feel safe And that's what this self-discovery writing really is, is helping you identify those, peel those out. And they're not always negative. In fact, Mm -hmm. I have clients who sometimes are afraid to write to the prompts because they feel like they're going to bring up things that they've done in the past and they're going to feel really guilty about it. And they're going to start to blame themselves for things. But actually the opposite happens. Mm. They end up seeing the truth of something and having more love and forgiveness because they can see how everything unfolded and why they have that belief that is a false belief or why they have been tripped up because of some of the stories that they bought into that weren't accurate. So when you can see the story, like you just said, you can see maybe a story about wanting to feel safe Mm -hmm. and then you can say, it can go either way, right? You can beat yourself up about it or you can say, okay, that's good information. But now, how do I want to live my life going forward? What is the story I want to tell myself going mm-hmm. forward? How do I want to change that to, uh, to affect my authentic story? Mm. My authentic story is, I think, my potential. Mm. What is my potential? And so not necessarily all, what is, but what you want it to be and what you see that it can be. Most definitely, it is what is possible Mm -hmm. because we often fall into these ruts of storytelling and storytelling is we're wired to do it yeah I mean even the caveman Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know way back in time um, very primitive life they were telling stories by carvings on stone and in caves they wanted to be remembered they wanted to be known And story is a way we make sense of the world. We're wired to do that. And I think we don't recognize how much a part of it 
is within our psyche Mm -hmm. and just the neuroscience of how our brain works. When you start to see that, we think that our story is one thing, but as people work with me and they write to these prompts and they, I coach them in the various modules, they start to see their lives are not quite what they thought they were in, Mm -hmm. in the meaning of how they've given meaning to things. Yeah. Do you have like, do you have just, what's it? Let me give you an example. Yeah. What's like your favorite example from a client? So I have a client who came to me. Um, actually this was a workshop in person, Mm -hmm. um, where I had people come, uh, and they came every week for six weeks. Uh, I've taught at the University of Utah as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, this woman, would she brought her daughter, and she wanted to clear up some things. She had left her children. Uh, she's an incredible woman. She had brought in foster children and adopted them and given so much of herself. But there was a hard time of her life when she was maxed out. The marriage wasn't good. She'd given so much of herself. And she actually left for three months, walked out. Some of her children were out of the house and married at the time. Uh, some of them were still living at home. But there was a lot of guilt and pain about that, um, a lot of judgment. So when she started working with me, she said, I am here to write my story to explain why I did this. Hmm. I want my family to understand me. I want them to know I feel like I'm being, you know, I feel guilty. I'm being judged. But I feel like there's a lot they don't know, and I need to write about that. So it was awesome that her daughter was taking the class with her too. And as she started writing, the first person who benefited from her writing was herself. Mm-hmm. Because as I guided her in these writing exercises, she started to see how incredible she is. Mm-hmm. She had forgotten that. She just wanted to explain herself to try to be you know, less judged. But she started to see her own beauty and the gifts that she came with before this happened. And this is what I see with people who have done something that they feel has ruined their life or they're really defined by one story. None of us are defined by one story unless we allow that to happen. And so we started looking at things in her childhood that she had done, traits that she had from a very early age that she brought into her adult life that she'd completely discounted. And she started to say, wow, I forgot about this side of me. I forgot about these things in myself. And even her daughter said, mom, I didn't even know these things about you. And it was beautiful to see the healing in that as she started to see herself from a different perspective and not just having to defend or justify something about that one story that she thought defined her. Yeah. So that is right. Like that's incredible. And like, I can see why you love it. And I think a lot of things that obviously that I get from you are wanting to like help people, inspire people. Um, I think that is a perfect description of what your business is. Um, switching to more of like the business strategy or getting it off the ground or trying to monetize it. Tell us about the success that you tasted initially. So when you first launched this business, it was successful. And then what happened after that? So I, I need to just 
go back a little bit to mm-hmm. say, you know, of course, 17 years ago when I started the business, yeah. it was more of a hobby mm-hmm. and, um, doing those classes throughout the years. I mean, I worked with thousands of people, but it was still mostly a hobby, something on the side because yeah. I was a single mother raising five children, holding down full-time jobs, mm-hmm. but this was a passion of mine. So something I've always enjoyed doing. And then your subscription and online model when did that start? So those both came into play in 20, 2017. Okay. And um, I knew nothing about strategizing mm-hmm. and building a business online. So I paid a company to help me, Clients on Demand. And um, I learned so much. I mean, really just a huge download of information um, from everything from how to do Facebook ads to how to build a webinar and, you know, bring people to the webinar, uh, to introduce them to me, to build an email following. And, uh, I, it really right out of the gate was successful. I had made a pretty big investment mm-hmm. in doing that training and, um, recouped my investment within the first month. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah, and so I was uh, thinking to myself, wow, this really works. This <laughs> system really works. Mm-hmm. But my negative self-talk, mm-hmm. my uh, money beliefs mm-hmm. started coming into play and thinking, this is too easy. Mm. And I remember the time when I started to think, wow, where's the challenge in this? You know, I've always worked so hard and of course I worked hard to, you know, launch everything, but then it just seemed to be working like clockwork and I'm going, huh, what am I going to do now? Mm-hmm. And then I, I would have people tell me your program's too expensive. And so I started to get pulled into that and I made some adjustments um, in the business that were not good business decisions. Mm-hmm. Based on some of the stories I tell myself, which one of them would be, my job is to help people. Mm-hmm. I can't b- do this for money, right? My job is to help people. Um, and the second thing would be that belief I had that making money needs to be hard work. Mm. And uh, looking back at that time and where I got off track was really because of those two beliefs. Yeah, and I think... I think I have that and other people probably have that too, that making money needs to be hard. Mm -hmm. And probably, I assume, a lot of wealthy people or like just extremely successful people make it easy or at least find a way to make it less complicated than maybe we do. That's interesting. Um, So what lessons like did you learn from that? Mm -hmm. Well, for the first while... I couldn't see where I stumbled. Um, I had someone helping me that had taken the program as well, the, done the clients on demand, giving me some advice. And uh, that led me even further away mm. from you know staying focused on what was working. And, uh, and it did take me a while to, you know, kind of see where I needed to be to get back to what was working. I, I mean, as you know, if you're doing a, 
something where you need to build your audience online, it's really important that you know who your target audience is. Mm -hmm. And I was primarily doing Facebook ads and just tweaking that, I think, too much, checking it too much mm. um, when I had a funnel that was working really well. And then the mindset that started to play out, um, I was working on being positive. But at first, I think why I did so well was because I just followed the plan. You followed the plan. But then when my own thoughts started coming in and my own worry or anxiety about this seems too easy. And again, these lies I was telling myself about this is too easy. This isn't challenging enough. Uh, I'll, you know, I can see it more now than I could at the time. And having uh, distance is beneficial. I tell people mm -hmm. when they're writing their story, if you've been through something really traumatic, it's not the best time to write about it. You can journal about it, but you really need some distance to be able to write about it objectively. And so for me, I didn't see that at first. I didn't see, you know, where I got off track uh, or see what my money blocks were or my beliefs about how making money could be this easy. Okay, so there, as one could assume in what you just told, there are lots of stresses and struggles as an entrepreneur. This isn't your first time you know, in this realm. Right. For not sure. my first rodeo. Not your first rodeo. <laughs> but with this specific, with this specifically, you know, doing a subscription subscription and building an online audience, what challenge surprised you the most? Hmm. I, I mean, it's a lot of work. So something that you just <laughs> yeah. said uh, about people make it look easy. I think that's, shows that that's a gift to mm. make it look easy. I mm -hmm. mean, yesterday I spent 12 hours producing a video that I just offered to my audience, a free video, 30-minute video, uh, 12 hours. I'm sure when people look at it, uh, they will have no idea the time that went into... No, they don't think how long you yeah, spent on it. Yeah. Writing it recording it, editing mm -hmm. it, and then putting it out into all the different channels. So I think, again, we don't always appreciate the work. It, it may seem easy, mm -hmm. um, but I have put a lot of hours into this that you know, I, but it's much easier when I love what I do. I'm mm -hmm. really passionate about it. And thankfully, I feel like I can do a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. So it's been uh, great to learn all of the things I've learned to do an online business. Um, at first, I was so afraid of doing Facebook Lives. I did not want to be in front of the camera. That was another negative self-talk story I had about myself being on camera, and it took me a while to be able to do that. So I've, I've learned a lot, but pushing myself, I think this part of my personality too. I am a growth junkie. And so pushing myself to do things that are uncomfortable because I'm focused on the outcome. I'm focused on what I really want. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's a lot of work. Yeah, and I think it's like some people can go into, right, it's so cool to be an entrepreneur right now. and But you can just go to your nine to five job, you work eight hours, and then you don't have to worry about it. 
when you're your own boss or own business, you spend 12 hours a day or more than that. And it's always on your mind. It's always on your mind. But luckily you love <laughs> it. Right. And that's the point why you do it. Yes. So you just mentioned that you're a growth junkie and you you're focused on the outcome so you can push through those long hours. Like, how do you find the will to push through though? Cause it's still not easy. Like 12 hours is a long time mm-hmm. and other things you've had to do. It takes so much work. So what are some tactical actual like practices? Do like, do you breathe? Like, do you have to really focus on positive self-talk? Like how do you get through those challenges? Yeah. I, I listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. I'm always buying and reading new books. I don't listen to books on audio, even though I have them. I don't listen to them on audio as much as I like to read them. I like, mm-hmm. I'm a tangible a very visual person. I like to hold the book and bookmark it up and mark it with highlighters and uh, be able to refer back to it. So I definitely have always been that way. I'm self-educated. I didn't graduate from college. I have always done well in English and writing. Um, but even though I've taken a lot of college classes, I guess I'm kind of a rebel when it comes to having to fall into one area Mm -hmm. and do what I'm told, you know, I kind of want to just do the things that resonate with me and take the classes that resonate with me that I enjoy that I'm really learning from. So I love learning about human behavior and I feel like as people, we can make things harder than they need to be. Mm -hmm. And I have definitely done that many times in my life. And having the ability to learn and learn from other people is something that I've always gravitated to. That's smart. I think that's a good way to get through challenges is almost what you're doing. You just released a podcast called Reveal Your Story. And you talk about, you know, the stories of just our psyche. But relating and learning from others' experiences is valuable to get through those challenges. Okay, that's really cool. Um, what's been your favorite success so far with this business? Oh, I would have to say my clients who have done my 10 week program Mm -hmm. and also clients that have done the 365 day program who have just said to me, Michelle, this has changed my life. Yeah. Working. Yeah. Working with you and doing this has changed my life because now I feel differently about my life. I have confidence in my writing, my ability. I've even had a couple of people tell me it has saved their life for different reasons. Um, That to me is worth more than money. You can't ask for anything more. That's what people want to do. Like the person, I, I just interviewed my friend Jeff and that's what he wants to do, right? He wants people to tell him, thank you. Like you've changed my life. You saved my life. So mom, I want to tell you, like, I know you already know this, this is your favorite part, but that is a huge benefit for those people. And you should be so proud that you have a product and a system to help people because right. Like money is important. We need to survive, but that is priceless. Mm -hmm. So that is really, really cool. It is priceless. I mean, being able to change lives. And that's what I tell my clients as they write their stories their stories are priceless because Mm -hmm. not only, I mean, writing their story saves their life first. Literally, a life is a story, right? They're writing it down, so they're saving a life by writing it, but then they save their own life. Yeah. 
Yeah, you just thought about yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> And then they help others because their story, either it's their posterity or a stranger that comes across their story and something in that resonates and speaks to them and teaches them because they can relate to it. Their story is relatable. So it can help someone else. So that is priceless. All of those areas that ripple out as people share their story. But first, I have so many people that haven't done much writing that say, oh, I want to write this book and be a bestseller. And they don't see it yet, mm-hmm. but they're the first ones to benefit from it. Once they do it, it's transformative to them. And that's why I'm so passionate about like this free video that I just produced about helping people to be able to create their own writing plan, to customize it. Uh, and that's one reason I was willing to do that for free, because I want people to get on this path and do it so they can see how it can change their life. And do you think this is for any specific individual or anyone can do this? Or do they have to be in in the right mind frame? Oh, I mean, anyone can do it. I talk Mm -hmm. to people all the time who, you know, they have a business, they want to tell their story, or they've gone through something very difficult. Um, One of the very first podcasts that I just released is with a woman, Rachel, who... uh, lost a child. I mean, every parent's worst nightmare to have a child die. And as a young mother, I mean, just devastating, completely devastating. And, you know, anyone who has been through a major turning point like that, they have a story to share. And again, first for themselves, and then for others. And my podcast is all about turning points. Hmm. Okay, so my last question in just this biz- business segment is what's the be- what's the best business advice you have ever received? Be yourself. Boom. I actually just got that advice last week. I haven't told you this story, but so I had three meetings in one day and it was weird that every single person essentially mentioned be yourself or be authentic. It was weird timing, mm. but I agree with that. Yeah, I think there's so much online right now and in social media that people try to be like this guru or that person Mm -hmm. who's really good like that. And maybe I should do this like them. And uh, I would say after a while, the people that if you just pay attention, the people that are doing really well are the people that are being original. That's true. Being their own original self. Okay. I love it. Well, through, we just finished the first segment about just speaking about the business. Tell me your story now. And I'm happy people get to hear how badass my mom is as far as all the things that she's done. Um, and this is a really good reminder for me, but now let's get into the next segment. And we're back. Uh, It's Ben and Michelle, mother and son. And we're in the second segment where we're going to talk about personal relationships and even how being raised by a single mother, um, she had three kids by the time she was 20, five kids by the time she was 30, uh, divorced at 32. She was behind the eight ball a lot and she's done some amazing things for being put in that situation. Um, 
So before we jump into just necessarily how I benefited from this, because even though it could be viewed as a negative thing, I view it for real as a positive thing. But mom, how do you believe, like, how did this hold you back? And what stories, going back to the stories, did people tell you that you actually believed? So are you talking about how did what hold me back getting married? Yeah, so by having... divorced. Yeah, having such a young family and having to essentially raise five kids on your own, like how did that hold you back? And what did people tell you that you actually believed that held Mm. you back even more? Yeah. I mean, I was the youngest of four daughters and I am the youngest of four daughters Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm eight years from my closest sibling. And uh, I always felt like I was kind of expected to follow the mold mm-hmm. uh, of the you know this is how you are this is your you'll grow up and have you know get married have babies and follow the path right mm-hmm. and I used to tell my parents now I'm gonna move away as soon as I can I'm mm-hmm. gonna go to college and have a career and move away and travel I'm only gonna have two kids I used to say I'm gonna have a house that's all white carpet and perfectly clean. (laughs) I was really had this vision, right? And uh, as a surprise to everyone, uh, (laughs) I actually got married at 16. Mm -hmm. I was pregnant and got married in January 1980 and had my first child in July of that year. And I was 17, and I remember watching my father sit at the kitchen table the morning after Mm. we told my parents, just crying. I mean, Mm. here's this big guy, this overprotective father who had always been a very masculine image in our family of all girls, and literally sitting with his head in his hands crying Mm. like a baby. It still makes me choke up to think about it. And it was because... He's, and he said to me, but you were the one who was uh, going to do all these things. You had all these dreams. Mm-hmm. How are you going to do it now? And I remember seeing that response, seeing him, and I had never even considered how my actions would affect them. Hmm. You know, I mean, you're so young at that age. You don't, your brain's not even fully yeah. developed. I was really naive. I mean, just even the you know, physical situation of being in a relationship. I mean, I just hadn't had those experiences before. But luckily, I feel like, I mean, your dad, I mean, he was a good guy. I mean, we had 16 years together. Yes, there were some difficulties in those times. And of course, you know, the marriage ended after 16 years. But, you know, it could have been very different. I could have been with someone who was not going to be there for 16 years and, you know, try to to do it together. Um, But yes, you know, answering your question uh, about the stories, the judgments from people, um, I, I had, you know, my oldest sister really wanted us to give the baby up for adoption. She tried to force my parents to make me do it. And I heard them on a phone call one day and I just said, if you try to force me, I'll leave and you'll never hmm. find me. You'll never wow. know where I am. And so, you know, you need to let me do this my way. And it was scary. I mean, I remember at one point feeling like, God, I, I wish I hadn't have done this, you know, Mm. 
but following through with it, um, you know, it's interesting as determined I was to do things differently. I ended up falling into line, falling into that mold a little bit younger than my sisters had. I mean, they were 18 or 19. Um, I was a little bit younger, but um, yes, had my third child at 20. And I felt like I had to really prove myself. People told me I couldn't do it. People said, you'll end up on welfare. This isn't going to work out. Um, You're going to limit your chances of success. So how that benefited me as I was really determined and stubborn to say, you just watch me. Mm-hmm. You just watch me do it. And I knew the odds were against me because of, you know, the judgments and criticisms of people. But fortunately, I am a natural mother in the way that I think that came to me very naturally because of the home I was raised in. So I didn't have a hard time um, loving my children. I didn't deal with anything like, you know, depression after I had my babies. I think our biggest challenge was always money. That was mm-hmm. a big stressor. As you mentioned, starting off behind the eight ball, right? We, me, my first job, right? When we got married, I was a junior in high school. I went to night school to finish high school, but got a job um, right away. I was uh, working at the Weber State College police station. Mm-hmm. So hurry, I'm 16 years old, morning sickness, going and typing yeah. these police reports. The woman who gave me the job had been in a similar situation at my jo- at my age. So she found pity on me. <laughs> I remember being just like naively, you know, put in this place of typing these police reports, being shocked about the world um, in Ogden, Utah and what was happening I was so young. It's interesting to think back to that time. But I think being told that I couldn't do it actually worked in my benefit because it made me push harder and try harder. I mean, I was reading books even at that point in my Mm. life. I remember uh, having a record um, about, I can still see the album cover of it, this woman talking about being a mother and singing these really sweet songs about being a mother. And I felt uh, very driven to do the best I could do to raise my children. I knew that I, you know, was young and people, I mean, even my doctor (laughs) tried to tell me, you know, uh, this is, you know, something that is, you know, they frown upon when they have a mother come into the doctor's, the pediatrician's office. That's, you know, basically a child herself. But Hmm. I remember him telling me, wow, you're actually a really good mother. That's awesome. So I think it's there's obvious reasons why people, you know, like that's it's not a good thing to get, you know, pregnant so young and start a family that young. But how do you see it as a positive thing, whether it's then or now? Why is it a blessing that it happened like that? Good question. I, I mean, the blessing to me is, of course, my incredible five children. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the greatest gift of all of it, uh, because I really do feel like if if it wouldn't have happened that way, I probably would have had fewer children. Mm-hmm. I would have lived a very different life. Uh, knowing myself and seeing myself clearer the longer I've lived, yeah. I can really see that that was a motivator to me to be good for my children, to be better for my children in ways that I probably would have been more selfish 
if I wouldn't have started my adult life that way. Mm-hmm. And you're like looking at your kids, you're a majorly successful mother as far as what we do, you know, knock on wood that, you know, none of us are too crazy at least. <laughs> um, like I'm just interested versus your thoughts on nature versus nurture. Cause even looking at, you know, your grandkids and my nieces and nephews, they all have their own personalities, mm-hmm. but of course parenting still matters. So what's, when people argue nature versus nurture, like how do you weight, weight each of those? Yeah. I would have to say that, uh, I've always had high expectations for Mm -hmm. my children. Like I have high expectations for myself. Mm. And so I was not going to settle for mediocrity or laziness. Um, you lived with me. You probably remember me being pretty strict about certain things. And, uh, Looking back also, uh, like your question about nature or nurture, um, I've had so many people tell me through the years, you know, you, you must have been such a good mom. You've got great kids. But also, I do have great kids. I mean, you all are great people. So, um, yes, I think we work together, but I don't think all the credit goes to me or to your dad or, you know, to genetics. I think it's a combination mm-hmm. of all of us working together. And, um, again, I think those expectations and being in a family, hopefully where you all felt loved and, uh, you know, that we all just were doing the best we could, but, you know, you said something earlier in the interview about Mm -hmm. how I love to have these deep conversations. Mm -hmm. And I really do feel like that was part of what helped my children to develop into the people they are is I remember Hmm. even my children's friends coming over in their teen years and loving participating in some of our conversations, having these talks and how it's a place to come and just hang out and really talk about things, not like in a surface way that's just really aloof and not meaningful. Mm -hmm. I feel like that is even something that really benefited my children is having those deep conversations. I mean, that was a norm at our house. Mm -hmm. And I think I want to ask you about like what, like if you could go back, what advice that you'd give to to yourself as a new parent. But I think that's one thing even nowadays, especially with how prevalent technology is, is to just communicate and have those conversations. Mm -hmm. Because I would agree, like, there was no shortage of love or conversation. Um, and I'll have to kind of reflect on that. But I agree that like I never felt that my like opinion wasn't like valued. Um, and yeah, for sure. So thank you, Mom, for making us feel loved. So what advice would you give yourself if you could go back to 16, 17-year-old? Michelle, what would you tell yourself? Um, I mean, you know, knowing what I know, I mean, you know, I, I probably wouldn't change too much, Mm. um, but I would definitely probably change a few things in the process of, um, you know, like the finances. Yeah. Um, so like what, 
So to be completely open, you know, like we did like struggle. I mean, we weren't like on the street, so it could have definitely been worse. Like you did everything you could to help us. But I guess in comparison in the nice neighborhood we lived in, we weren't doing Mm -hmm. as great and we had to move a lot. Um, And we struggled financially that way. So what would you change like looking back at it? I mean, for me and like the history like that I came from, I mean, I was the first woman that I know of for generations that uh, bought my own home several mm. times as a single mother. I bought so in your family, in my family, mm-hmm. in yeah, the, you know, the generations of women, the first one. Um, so I feel like yeah, there were times yeah that definitely we struggled. It was a lot to support five kids, yeah, and have you in sports and buy new shoes mm. all the time and do all of that and I'm grateful that I was able to do it I know uh, one of your brothers said to me recently I feel like now you're like worn out you know you had to really hustle yeah talk about you know hustling to make it all work and come together um you know I remember one house I bought you know our payment was twenty two hundred dollars a month I remember my dad saying I can't help you with that if something happens, you know, because my parents had helped me occasionally mm. before. And um, so, yeah, even though there are ups and downs, I feel like for my kids, that was probably the most stressful Yeah, is moving or not having, you know, the financial stability. But at the same time, I feel like you still didn't know a lot of what was happening. There no, was we didn't. always food and mm-hmm. shelter and clothes and shoes and Christmas and birthdays and vacations. And yeah. And tell us, you've told me before about how you, you didn't want to move out of the neighborhood. Why was that? Yeah. So I'm going to share a story about you. Uh, um, so we lived in hmm. this really cool neighborhood and holiday. This is where my payment was $2,200 and, um, just great families, but a lot of wealthy families, a lot of men primarily who owned their own businesses and the women who stayed home as mothers and raised the kids. So stability and that way that I feel like uh, the community helped me to raise the kids. There were mm. mothers to help drive carpool. Yeah. I mean, I would drive carpool in the mornings, but then you know there were other mothers who could pick kids up from school and drive to sports or football or different things that really helped to live in an area where there was a little bit more money. So there were, there was more stability in that there were parents around, right? That's cool. And you wanted us to see those successful figures. Yes. Yes. That was important to me to see, uh, financially at least what could be possible, right? That, um, if in a family where, you know, from what I could see on the outside, a lot of these families seem to be functioning well, um, as parents and, families and business and all of those aspects and also uh just really you know down-to-earth people uh when you were in sixth seventh grade mm-hmm. um in junior high you really wanted a cell phone and i remember you saying you know i want to get a cell phone like all my friends and of course this was i mean i you know god what seven years eight Talking about seven years ago? <laughs> 17 years ago. No, no. yeah. <laughs> anyway, some time. It's hard to believe how much time 14, has passed. 14, 15 years right? ago. And um, I said, well, if you get straight A's, 
mm-hmm. for this term on your report card, then we'll get you a cell phone. And, you know, you can maintain that. And you looked at me and said, I can't get straight A's. Mm-hmm. I said, Ben, all your friends. And again, that's why I like this neighborhood. There, it was great just within, you know, there were these three cul-de-sacs down the street. We lived on one of them. And um, all of your friends were getting straight A's. So I said, Ben, all of your friends are getting straight A's. You mm-hmm. can do it. And you said, no, they're really smart. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. And I said, you can. I believe in you. If you want this cell phone badly enough, you'll do it. Well, you did it. Mm-hmm. And I think you surprised yourself. Oh, I did. But then what was so cool about this is that you had straight A's all through high school. Mm-hmm. Almost. You had what, an A minus or something? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but still, straight A's. And I remember thinking to myself, that was a turning point for you. Mm-hmm. A major turning point. Because you had maybe some tendencies to be more comfortable. Comfortable, yeah, passive. And not take risks, maybe. And put yourself out there and do things the easy way. Mm-hmm. And what this taught you is that I saw your potential. And then you began to see your potential. Yeah. And it was remarkable because you've always been such a sweet boy. You remember me probably saying that and other people saying you're such a sweet boy. It never gave me a moment's stress or problem growing up. And But then to see you really blossom and move more into your personal power in a way that created a different life for you mm-hmm. than you probably would have had if this hadn't happened this belief in yourself and it doesn't mean that it's right or wrong or bad or good you still would have been Ben yeah and had a good life I'm sure of it because that's who you are but it's just that your life looks different because you believe now that you can have more mm-hmm. and you can do what you saw other people doing in the neighborhood where maybe, you know, before you would have just been, well, that's too hard. I can't do that. But at a young age, you clearly saw evidence that you could. Yeah, I think that instance gave me just proof that I could get whatever I wanted, you know. And then from there, I had other lessons from trying things that I wanted to do. And then once I realized, like, really, whatever I wanted and put in the work for just with time it would manifest Mm -hmm. so yeah that was for sure the start of that lesson and i'm i'm eternally grateful for like yeah for sure maybe have a good life but i don't know like without my drive and making stuff happen i would be a completely different person um what is the definition of love to you hmm I don't feel like there is like a simple definition of love. Yeah. Uh, Love to me is a feeling of being comfortable and settled with someone. um, And even like loving myself, it's a feeling with being comfortable and settled. Hmm. And there's a trust factor there too, trusting myself. And I feel that way about other people I love and people who show me love. You know, it's reciprocal kind of in the trust and the uh, 
comfort or the settling of, you know, we can be who we are together and we can trust one another and we can grow together. I love that. And I'm going to throw, and you listen to, you know, most of these podcasts, so you know that there's a segment called Scroll My Soul, which I write a bunch of notes on my phone throughout the week and I randomly scroll through and I pick one for each interview. And for you, it is about love. And it's love is just not the admiration of strength. It's tolerance of weakness and recognition of ambivalence. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, what does that mean to you throughout your life? Like, it's just like, I truly believe it's love is just not the admiration of strength. Right. Tolerance of weakness and recognition of ambivalence like there's gonna be mixed emotions that we don't know how to feel or what to do sometimes Mm -hmm. yeah and for my personality type it's hard for me to love when I don't respect and that's been really interesting for me to learn too with like partners you know in a relationship a partnership with work with friends romantic partners Um, I really enjoy being around people that I respect Mm. and I learn from. And uh, when you talk about growing together, I feel like having a mutual respect is that we are going to have growing pains. You know, there are going to be times we don't agree, um, but that we will put in the effort because we have similar values. We value each other. And we value the time that we've invested in each other. And in my own family, I think it's sad. My own family, as far as my siblings, um, we don't talk that much. And I think, oh, if my parents were still alive, they would be really sad about that, that we've kind of grown apart. Um, And I think for me, a big piece of that is that we've grown apart as people in our interests and some of our values as well. So do you think that's all bad? No, I think, but, you know, having family, you know, I think mm-hmm. in our society, it's like your tribe. Yeah. And and I think it is sad that, you know, we haven't stayed close, my siblings and extended family. But I think there, for me anyway, there's an expectation to be like for sameness. Hmm. And unfortunately we were kind of raised like that and so when we get together it's like for me it's not as enjoyable because I feel like I've I'm so different Hmm. than them that I I don't even have like the same things in common anymore no all four of you are pretty different yeah we are really (laughs) different and so I I hope with my own children that we can grow and and even when we have differences, it's complimentary. We can learn yeah. from each other and be together and not have to have sameness or agreement, but that we can still enjoy each other and have fun, still have deep conversations, mm-hmm. but we don't have to agree on everything or be, you know, the same on the same page about everything. Um, but to honor that, you know, we have put in time with each other in this life and we have things we can learn from each other and that we are not always going to be either. We're not going to be the same, you know, talking about sameness sure. because we evolve and change. I'm not going to be the same, you know, in 10 years that I am now. 
or that I was when you were growing up. I mean, as a mother growing up and um, being with adult children is an adjustment for me, Mm -hmm. you know, learning how to do that differently in our relationship is really important to me. And I've definitely stumbled and not done it perfectly. And I hope you'll all be patient with me as we navigate (laughs) through that stage together. Well, yeah. And I think that's like looking at that relationship, right? As we've grown into adults and you've now live, you know, independently and do your own thing that you didn't, you weren't able to do before. Mm -hmm. Like me, right? Like living my twenties, doing whatever the hell I want to do. You didn't have that opportunity. I did not do that. (laughs) Um, Right. And you get to hopefully do that now. But I think that's really good advice for our family or anyone else that like, I don't want anyone to hold expectations or me to not change. Like, yes, I want to grow. I want to be different. Like if I'm not different next year, someone like slap me I don't know you know like because I really do not want to be different like I want to grow and evolve constantly right but even you have mm-hmm. had a hard time with some of my changes oh for sure this last year and yeah. going you know I've had some difficulties mm-hmm. personally and it's been different for my children I think because it's not it doesn't feel the same to be around me like we don't know how to navigate yeah. that with mom mm-hmm. when she's you know having a harder time so i think that is also important to recognize is that we can ebb and flow as individuals but what happens i mean if you study the psychology of families everybody mm-hmm. has has an assigned role mm. and so if someone moves out of that role either they're they've been assigned to be the funny person or they've been assigned to be like the caregiver or they've been assigned to be the helper the peacemaker or the peacemaker right and then they move out of it and they're not doing that anymore it really is and this is a fact people in that group they don't know how to adjust they Mm -hmm. don't know how to handle it because wait you're not you're not doing the role that you were assigned and so just being aware of that as a family group and knowing how to adjust and rather than avoiding uh, the relationship because it's uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but saying, how do we navigate through this? Because we do care about each other and we yeah. can get through this together. Even though, you know, a lot of those things I've been through this year, I have to do myself. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, we are all going to change throughout life. Yeah, and I think that's, I assume it's just not our family, you know, that... Oh, no, you not know, just our family. That yeah. the relationship, like, changes the dynamic of it. Um, But, you know, as your child, it is different because you go from someone who's being taken care of mm-hmm. um, to an adult. And I remember... I don't remember the exact moment, but I remember being a switch of like you looking, I felt like at least that you looked at me like an equal mm-hmm. almost like, yeah, like not someone that you need to take care of necessarily. And I remember that as being a switch, like a change. Like, I'm not saying that's good or bad, but just the part of the dynamic. I'm like, wait, like I'm not the w- like you're not necessarily you, I, you don't need to take care of me, mm-hmm. but I guess just that feeling of yeah I don't even know how exactly to explain mm-hmm. it yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. I know what you're saying though. Mm-hmm. I do of the parenting kind of the yeah. fallback. I want to be able to fall back sometimes yeah. into the nest. Right. Yeah. And have that security. I mean, and I felt that way with my parents that I could do that. I could fall back and be in the nest just for an afternoon or an evening and just hang out and, and be, have a respite yeah. and hang out. And that wasn't the same for you guys. Yeah. I, I think for me too, getting married so young and being a single parent for, you know, those years when, you know, my youngest finally was out of the nest. I was like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> and I, you know, was very honest with all of you. You're on your own now, you know? And mm-hmm. so there is a part of me definitely that feels that way still. Like, don't rely on me too much because I've already done that. And I, I need to go on and do other things now. Like you said, I learned how to, you know, to walk before I could crawl. So in mm-hmm. some ways I feel like I've had to go back and do that part of me that I didn't get to do at a young age mm-hmm. where maybe some parents um, can still gather into the nest in a different way um, than I could because I felt like, okay, now I have to go do me. Now I've mm-hmm. fulfilled my duty and I've been responsible in raising these children, but now I need to go do me. And so in that way you were pushed out of the nest kind of. Yeah. And I know for your younger sister, she's even said that watching people where, you know, their parents, people her age, their parents pay for everything, yeah, really... pay for trips, pay for college, give them a car. And she's like, gee, you know, I haven't had that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah. And so you get to learn to. Yeah. A lot of people have it worse. Do this on your own. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, you know, when we compare, I mean, we can get into trouble with that, but we can also look for things that, you know, are benefits from it. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about expectations. We've talked about this recently about like the expectations of your children once they got out of the house. And cause we're kind of on that topic of, okay, you need to do your own thing. Like, were independent. Um, but what were your expectations at the same time of, okay, you know, you can't just fall back necessarily into that nest. I mean, mm-hmm. you're still very loving, but where does that expectation, like what expectations have you had from us? Mm. Yeah. I mean, watching you all grow has been also a very fulfilling experience for me as you've all, uh, reached for different experiences to expand and evolve and learn that is very rewarding as a parent to watch that and I'm grateful for that opportunity as far as expectations I mean you know still having like family dinners or having my family gather around being with their grandkids I mean I love those times honestly I don't want to feel like I have to do that like at any on any particular schedule um I know me neither (laughs) yeah I mean you know and there are some families who do and some parents you know that their kids do and for a while you probably remember this you were still living at home we had Sunday dinners every Sunday with Mm -hmm. all the extended family even your siblings you know that were out of the house and um you know, that's not something that I'm currently doing and yeah. or something I want to do. So I don't know if that answers your question, but, you know, I feel like it's all been, you know, kind of um, unspoken in some ways about, you know, we see each other for birthdays and holidays. 
Um, and I feel like we are connected. Mm-hmm. Um, is there something that you feel you want to add to that or that <laughs> I haven't included? On yeah, I would. What's the expectation of you I as would, adults? yeah, like for us, I think this is, you know, a healthy conversation. Like you said, it's unspoken. Mm-hmm. And just quick, funny side note. I remember you telling me because I was just like passive, you know, and just like introverted naturally, like my communication skills. I remember you telling me, Ben, that's going to be hard when you get married. <laughs> and it's proved that in my relationships, that it has been difficult, but <laughs> but I have improved and I'll continue to improve. Um, but yeah, just expectations in general, like kind of speaking, hopefully other people listening can maybe be inspired to speak with their own parents or their own children. But like, what do you expect from us as far as like how, because you've been going through some personal challenges, like, um, like what do you expect from us of like how to love you and how to communicate with you and show our love to you? Oh, that's a very good question. So I would say like my love language is quality time. Mm-hmm. One of my love language, one of the biggest. So quality time with me is, I, I value that above everything. And so you've done that before where you've said, mom, let's go to dinner. I'll mm-hmm. take you to dinner or, you know, like I made homemade chicken noodle soup a couple weeks mm-hmm. ago you came over and we talked for hours and we hadn't talked for right. you know a while and having that time is super valuable again because i like those deep conversations those mm-hmm. connections where we can really connect and understand each other in a way that we can't if we don't mm-hmm. take that time because that is a huge uh you know, contribution, right. For you to say, I'm going to give you time in my life. And so, yeah, that would be, you know, just that's the most important quality time important to me and to have a phone call. Um, how are you? Mm -hmm. How are you? Um, you know, I think sometimes the expectation of children is always that their parents are going to be, you know, doing that for them. And, um, just, knowing you know that you care and that you want to know how I am versus we don't want to know we don't want to hear it you know it's easier that way figure it out (laughs) yeah I'll talk to the other sibs and they'll tell me right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah okay that's really good and do you have a preference as far as and this isn't just I think this is a good exercise but I really am genuinely curious is there like a frequency like, I know we can't, we could, I don't know, like, hey, bi-weekly, but is there like any type of frequency that you feel that that quality time covers? Yeah. I mean, I'm, even I monthly. Know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I know you're all busy with your lives. I mean, I'm busy with my life, but um, I mean, even monthly to have like a good, I know you're moving to South Carolina yeah. soon and, you know, to get on the call and talk for an hour would be incredible you know and with my children who have children what's tricky is being with them without children around because Mm -hmm. the children of course want our attention and interrupt the conversations and I love to give them 
you know, my attention and play with them as well. But even just having time to talk to my children without the little ones so we can have that engagement of and that exchange of how are you doing and how are you doing and um, kind of catching up on person to person. Yeah. Like, you know, you might be able to catch up on some family things, but truly wondering how we are each doing as an individual Mm -hmm. almost. Yeah. And our own fun adventures that we're going on. Yeah. So, you know, I have no no children that I know of. <laughs> Said it to my mom. Um, but one fear that I have of being a parent, even though that I know this is necessary, is watching my kids fail, struggle, and go through pain. And I know that's not just me. Like, but I know it's necessary because for me, struggle and pain and challenge is where all my growth comes from. And I have learned to even seek it out and embrace it. But what's been your experience with that of maybe not letting kids struggle, letting your kids struggle and then letting them struggle? Like, how is that dynamic? What have you learned from it? So for me, I think I'm pretty easy to talk to. Mm-hmm. Like if you just tell me the truth. Yeah. But if I find out that one of my children have lied to me, See, it's that respect thing. You better watch out. Then I, uh, the <laughs> yeah. respect starts to mm-hmm. fall, and that's where I have a hard time. Then I, I don't have that trust. And remember, I also said that part of love for me is trust. Yeah. And so um, I would say I can, you know, deal with a lot. If you'll just be honest with me, mm-hmm. I can be there for you and talk with you. But if you start to not tell me the truth and try to deceive me, um, then it's something that is, you know, challenging for me to mm-hmm. stay the course in, in that situation. But having, you know, I have watched my children struggle with some things for sure. And times where they've wanted to distance themselves from me um, because we've disagreed. Mm-hmm. And I feel like those things are part of growth. Yeah. And even probably goes back to the love of tolerance mm-hmm. and recognizing that we may not understand each other all the time. Right. Or what someone else is thinking. Like, And it's not easy. Like, It really isn't. Even like for me telling myself like, when I meditate or like setting an intention to love and, you know, like truly treats someone you know you and other people like they're the most important person with you know give them all of my attention mm-hmm. you know it's still not easy and but like it's worth it to make sure like that everyone really feels like i guess appreciated mm-hmm. and loved even when it's not easy well and for me it's about having that heart-to-heart connection mm-hmm. like really opening your heart yeah lowering your shield putting your phone away, saying, okay, let's really connect heart to heart. Mm-hmm. And and I know, I, you know, I, I think my children would say I'm very opinionated. <laughs> I can be uh-huh. stubborn, hard-headed. I've known to have been critical. I try not to do that. <laughs> but, um, you know, those are those high mm. expectations mm. I have of all of you and of myself. I'm highly critical of myself. And having that knowledge of myself too right um i also would hope that my children would know that about me that i know those things about myself i'm also very aware of them and i'm working on those things just as i know your weaknesses you know Mm -hmm. a parent sees their child's weaknesses 
but they but a parent does it differently than you know a child viewing a parent a child viewing a parent the dynamic is maybe more defensive Mm -hmm. but a parent viewing a child is more like i'm i'm pulling for you i'm cheering for you yeah i see that you're gonna overcome this and you're gonna be able to do it you know so that's a different dynamic in a parent-child relationship even though i'm not parenting you anymore that's still how we see each other that's our perspectives you know you're more defensive if i say something yeah that makes sense where I'm not meaning it to be defensive. I'm just saying it like I would really to anyone. I feel like I'm the same with most people. But a child would take it more personally as if defense because I am the parent. Yeah, I mean, I think that's any relationship, right? Like a parent could say something that's sound advice. The kid doesn't listen to it. And then someone famous says yes. the exact same thing yes. and they're like oh that's amazing yes but just because their parents said it like man mom dad you're so dumb you know or something <laughs> like that okay well mom those are all the questions i have for you do you have any other stories or thoughts you'd like to share i just want you to know ben mm-hmm. that you're an incredible man oh thank you mom and i really have so mm-hmm. much admiration and respect for you and watching you live your life and do you Mm. and i'm always cheering for you and i always will be i love you thank you mom i love you so much and because you said i have your respect that makes me feel good i can so really mom thank you for doing this um this has been really cool and i think we'll even look back at this or can even just listen to this in a year 10 years whatever and this would be really cool so thank you mom i love you. you Thank you. And adios. All right, y'all. I hope you enjoyed that interview with my madre. And the thing I hope, the one thing I hope you get from that is really having an open dialogue and conversation with your parent or other guardian or other important relationship in your life. Really have an open conversation. Um... Just because who knows what can happen. It's not going to be easy, but I hope you keep an open dialogue and this encourages you to have an open, heartfelt conversation with someone. Um, And you probably are thinking of someone right now when you're listening to this that you need to have that conversation with, and I hope you go do it. So this week's challenge is inspired by Tell Me Your Story Now. And the challenge that we have for you guys this week is pretty cool. So we want you to write a letter to yourself about all the times you've weathered life's storms and read that letter whenever you doubt yourself. So you're gonna write a letter to yourself about how you've weathered life storms and how you've gotten through those difficult times. And then you'll have that letter whenever times get tough, you can read it and I'm excited to do this. I mean, I think it's an awesome exercise. And so check out, tell me your story now. And once you complete this challenge, there are a few ways you can report back once you complete it. You can post on Facebook or Instagram using hashtag challenge tag us in your stories or use the GoLink hotline. To use the hotline, call 385-626-0525 and follow the instructions. Follow us at GoLink Group. My name is Ben. I love you. This is The GoLink Show.